Hello and welcome to this week's That's One podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. You just immediately switched into the sexy voice there, huh? <laughs> My, uh, yeah. I'm just all professional, me. <laughs> That's the thing. Can plaster on a smile for any occasion. So today we are powered by reader questions, partly because there just isn't that much to talk about. Uh, although, just before we hopped on the air, apparently France has decided that their season has ended, which is complicated for various reasons. I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as that. I think France, uh, the, the footballing nation, would quite like to do something. But uh, it sounds like the government are just like, you ain't playing no games till August, and that's that. And it's really... Uh, uh, kind of affected things because they were thinking of going back into training in May to start in June which is a kind of echo that we see across you know a variety of other nations at the moment and it feels like the government their government has just been like nah you ain't doing that yeah so interesting Still, it is a, it's a public health thing right it's not you know entertainment versus public health public health wins out yeah I mean in England I know I know, I don't know about other, other clubs what other clubs do you know? I know Tottenham Tottenham's players went back training this morning uh, you know kind of like one per pitch kind of training like and you know running running around and doing that kind of uh, that kind of thing and rotating on and off and then going straight home as soon as they finish training this kind of very remote uh, non-connected um, kind of training so I guess in England there's there's some move to to kind of recalibrate and uh, start something afoot I think but... I think Cobham has like 32 different pitches so like you know Chelsea could actually literally do one player per pitch and not run out of the first team yeah yeah I mean that's <laughs> yeah that's the thing for the for the larger clubs it's definitely more feasible to do do things like that and I know to- a couple of to- couple of times Tottenham players have been have been caught meeting up in the park and doing doing some fitness work and such uh in uh in recent weeks so yeah I, but I mean it's a shame it's a shame that France France looks like it's not going to get to finish its season properly I don't know. My time is still early days on that news, so my timeline's been a bit. So and there was at least someone that was like, "What are you going to avoid it all?" And it's like, "Yeah, sure, yeah, do that." <laughs> I, I don't think there's any clarity on it. And what happens mm. to Ligue 2, right? Uh, yeah, that's, sure. That's like an extremely tight race. Last time I looked at it. Yeah, it was. Um, but there is a league. There are two leagues, in fact, that have basically wrapped things up, and one of them is like particularly interesting. So, you know, Netherlands has decided that they're done. Mm. And not only are they done, but like no one's getting relegated. And there are no champions because the two teams at the top of the league were on 56 points. Mm. It was 45 goal difference for Ajax. And the second team is not one of the usual second place teams here. And I think that actually is something interesting. I'm, I'm kind of springing this on James a bit because we didn't prep for it. But I had remembered that I wanted to talk about Azed Alkmaar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you know anyone from Azed Alkmaar, James? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Which Have you way, met anybody from there? Which way are you driving this? Um, what's his name? Robert. He was. Um, uh, he's like that. Is he their general manager or something? I can't remember his surname off the top of my head. I believe he's the the. I believe he's the director of football. He could be the general manager. He did play professional baseball. His name is Robert Einhorn. That's it. He was in Boston, wasn't he? He was on the stage for um, uh, a, a quite good chat. Luke Bourne was on that that panel, I believe, and it was uh, very interesting. Um, we are we, we are obligated. Briefly. James, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we are obligated to call him Evil Luke Bourne. It's not okay. just Luke Bourne, it is Evil Luke Bourne. Fair enough, okay. that's fine. Yeah, I Good. can see that, the cold, dead eyes of Luke Bourne. Don't mess that up again. <laughs> Luke's a nice guy. <laughs> I don't mean any of this. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, but they plus 37 goal difference. That's pretty good. 17 goals conceded. Fantastic. Yeah, probably, you know, as good a run as they, they've had in recent years. And yeah, no no title for you, I'm afraid. Sorry. That's that. So have you heard of, do you think you've heard of anybody on the board of Azad Alkmaar? Is Billy Bean on the board of Azad Alkmaar? Yes, Billy Bean is on the board of Azad Alkmaar. And Azad Alkmaar now, because of the way that they have finalized the season, will be in the Champions League next year. At least in the qualifying rounds. That's good. That's good to see. Yeah. How cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but I, I suspect that Azad Akmar do things completely traditionally and have nothing to do with stats or data or Moneyball. Or maybe, maybe or, as we cast our eye around Europe looking for further poster boys <laughs> for for our, our ethos, our philosophy. Um, yeah, you could be right. This could this could be the future, you know. <laughs> What can I say? Anyway, all right. So Let's we're good questions. Now, now, now that I've thrown James for a total loop and he hates me <laughs> even more than he already did, uh, we're going to get to some reader questions. Here we go. First reader question. Uh, two questions about Aubameyang, right? So it was like, okay, I'll have a very quick look at Aubameyang just to get an idea about this. We had talked about him briefly because um, his positional stuff, he's, he's played a bit on the wide, a bit wide and a bit up front. I'm not going to get into physics, but there's been, a, there's been a discussion raging in the in, in the starts from Slack about positions today, and I I've just I've had it with positions. But anyway, I hate uh, them so much. I hate formations. I personally so dislike much. positions and formations. I think there's a Twitter talking about it as well. It's just my personal dislike. Uh, anyway, but he's played a little bit nominally, kind of like from the left and centrally mixed up I think a little bit more this season so potentially that factors into some some of these numbers we've got here those I've put up his goal chart from the last two seasons sorry two and a half seasons all the time he's been there and they're kind of and then a few numbers so, uh, two two questions we had were the effect of Aubameyang leaving uh, Arsenal both on squad and finances and then should should Arsenal sell both Aubameyang and Lacazette and take in a young centre forward to a company in Ketia or is that too risky get a Jovic in surely and I think the, the interesting point here that I, I I probably hadn't really noticed this because he's, he's scored 16 goals from an expected goals around 10, 10 and a half this season the previous two seasons uh, he's, he's, he's been a shade over par but his, his expected goals has definitely dropped this season, and he is—he's not young. Uh, is it maybe worth if you could, if you can cash in in this brave new world on one of the one of Arsenal's forwards and your Arsenal? Do you want to do that? I think probably I would in, be inclined to to do so. But finding a buyer, finding a home, finding a massive wage check, a wage packet that matches what he's currently on might be less straightforward. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fairly obvious that you do, you if you have the opportunity to do so. Like that's pretty exciting. But you know, uh, what does the new world look like? And I I can't even start to predict it. I we we've got a pretty good idea of the impact to the higher level. The lower levels are going to be devastated. But like what we don't understand is is quite like how many teams are going to power through this how many teams you know just are going to find sponsors that are big fans come out of the woodwork or stuff like that i don't know uh for arsenal i'm going to be a little circumspect about saying this but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got in trouble a few weeks ago for basically talking about how united were in a fairly strong financial position and it might actually be good for them because 
like most of the teams around Europe that they might want to buy ta uh, talent from would be in a fairly weak position. And so for, for teams that have cash, like you're, this is good for you. You like, you'd like to be in that spot. Um, for Arsenal, they want to sell, obviously, but it might be the time for Kroenke for like maybe even the first time ever to actually throw in some money and and buy you know talent on a discount, which is one of the things that have been very very expensive for the last three four years. And is you know long term, we've talked about this historically. We've been running this pod for a long time, but you know Arsene Wenger like really misread the economy of everything. He thought FFP might come and hit. Like he didn't realize that the the TV deals would keep growing. And so he thought that players were expensive when in reality they were much cheaper than they would be two, three, five years down the line. Uh, so at this point with potentially looking at the transfer market effectively having a very large reset, uh, it might be a good time for teams that are in whose owners are willing to, to spend some money to be able to, to stump up a bit and rebuild their squad much faster than they would have been able to if this did not happen. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, you know, who knows what happens with FFP and, you know, whether it gets relaxed a little bit. Does the TV money kind of just roll in regardless? Do we get back to normal quickly or not? And the first, who did the first, there's going to be a first move out there, isn't it? It's going to be a first big deal. Like, what, what, at some point in the future, there'll be, I don't know, a big team will want to sign a, a key component for their future. And, you know, will, will we have this effect where, like, one transfer fee kind of, like, dictates all, follow, all following transfer fees? Or, let's say, the first, like, three or four large deals go through, and it's like, right, okay, those are the values now. And who's going to want to move first? You know, I, one gets the feeling that Tottenham may not be the first movers. In the oh, you, you think? You think Tottenham are going to, going to, you know, drag their feet a Hedge little bit, the just a little bit, and see see the shape of the landscape before they before actually. They move so, in. so I think that what Daniel Levy does in this market, and he's prone to do this anyway, is he waits to the end. They don't have any really high-profile guys that they want to go after anyway. He waits to the end, assumes that there's going to be a massive supply, and then he just picks up all the bits and bobs uh, from around Europe from teams that are like desperate for for inbound cash. Like that is that is how I would suspect that Daniel Levy would operate. Yeah, I mean it might it, it may well be a shrewd move to do that for for more, more than one team, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, you know, someone like Man City who've who've tended to kind of like you identify a player and then and literally you know actively go and pursue them. Um, uh, you know, and may maybe teams that have got uh, how how should I put it less less pressure on their you know their their outgoings uh, in various forms uh, will will they be prepared to actually uh, stump up the cash in uh, as they move forward? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I I think there are two very clear teams that that are quite interested in doing this. One of them is the blue team uh, in Liverpool. Hmm. I, I I think that. You know, Moshiri and, and potentially Usmanov have been quite interested in. Usmanov has like so much latent buying power that he was never able to operate at Arsenal because he couldn't get controlling interest there, and he he does seem to love football. Um, and now that he is, I I don't know the extent, but there, there's there's been a long sense that he's been in and around Everton. So if Everton have more buying power and FFP is relaxed. That suddenly becomes a very interesting um, opportunity for them. Now, you know, you have to spend efficiently. But that does bring us around to another set of questions that I know that we've had. <laughs> the next is, slide, Ted. 
Yes. <laughs> so many James. so many questions about this uh, this <laughs> same topic. The impact of a potential Newcastle takeover. Uh, I think it's probably worth detaching ourselves at this point from uh, from the ethical concerns around the ownership group, uh, which are evidently valid and, you know, that's, that's certainly worth looking at. But it, I know from, from certainly from a fan perspective, uh, Newcastle had quite a few down years and um, would certainly like to have a, a, an up year, which could not could to be confused. Occur. Not to be confused with Mike Ashley, who has downed quite a few, at least, you know. According to the rumors in the media in the past, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, going out with Mike Ashley is inherently a, a risky proposition for your liver. Uh, you know, the, I'm just saying what I've read in the media. Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, this is fun because obviously you don't see a, a sort of like middle to lower tier Premier League club get taken over by one of the the richest sovereign wealth funds in the world very often. And I, you know, I know people want us to get to to Newcastle, but I, my mind harkened back to that first season with Manchester City. Absolutely, the exact same thought I had. And it was like so exciting <laughs> and so weird and so much fun. I feel like that, um, there's a, a very strong chance that that it will be a little bit like that because there's been a bit of a kind of blockage in the tramp, uh, top end of the transfer market with with um, kind of super clubs that have, have ended up with players that they don't really want to keep uh, but they haven't been the buyers for them it feels like the market's got a little bit smart in places and they haven't been able to kind of like rotate around the top clubs in the same way uh, some, someone like Coutinho is, is a good example who's kind of like got the big move that hasn't quite worked out and then he's been loaned to Bayern not sure if that's going to stay on someone like James Rodriguez, Rodriguez who's been a bit adrift in recent seasons uh, you know where, where where does he end up I feel like if you know if Newcastle get taken over by a large um, you know with large financial kind of clout then it's almost inevitable uh, they'd have to have the absolute will of a saint not to not to end up you know, inadvertently buying one of these kind of uh, ornate players for a reasonably large contract. Rubinho on the last day of Man City. Oh, hang on, I was going to get there. I was going to get there. Hang on, this is this is fun. Don't look at the screen or the stream, okay? <laughs> what? What are you doing now? Hang on. So, um, so James, do you remember the approximate fee for Rubinho? Well, it was. I. I mean, I can barely see it on the screen. I thought it was about thirty million quid. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it was. And like the, the the thing with transfer market stuff is like there are lots of variations around the the monetary exchange rates and stuff. Um, and then there was I, I'd forgotten that Joe came uh, from CSKA Moscow was only twenty one. Nigel De Young, Craig Bellamy was that in the winter? Yeah, because the blue ones are the winter ones, aren't they? But yeah, they're just yeah. they're just buying and buying. Just Wait. hey, here here we are some players. They're available. Wayne Bridge, good. obviously Sean Wright Phillips, of course Sean Wright Phillips. Um, Zabs was one, and, and Zabaleta and, and company were, yeah, were two of the early ones there that you you just forget about. Tal Ben Haim, whose agent I'm sure like made a killing over all those years being involved in and around Harry Redknapp. Wait, I, I have to take that back. I suspect. Anyway, um, <laughs> young Daniel Sturridge in and out of that that team, man. and and obviously they they had like a pretty strong academy group uh, from that period of time as well. And then you know Mark Hughes was. Uh, involved at that point and then prior prior to that it was taxin shinawatra right and yeah this and, is the uh, thing how do you ericsson 
how do you evolve out of, out of the you know what your club already is? Um, you know, you you can't see, you can't see Bruce staying on after a huge takeover. I mean, it might take a little while to to kind of rem- remove him and and do something else, but it's, it just feels like it, that would be unlikely. One of the questions someone had asked was like, how many points would Gareth Bale add to this Newcastle team in one season? I kind of poked around a little around that around that question. Um, I know Omar Chidori did some work on this years ago and he said he reckoned about five for a player. So if we say five for, for an absolute top-class player, knock off Gareth Bale's injury time. What was a couple of points, two points? Well, we had some <laughs> concerns around Bale, right? Like we looked at him and, and felt like there is definitely a fall-off in the works. And yeah. Yeah, you, you, Again, this, age, this kind of age group, and it's easy just to think, like, oh, but they're class. And it's like, well, yeah, but... You know, not not many people stay class uh, relentlessly into their thirties, and it's just I don't know. He's he's had a funny funny time, like a really odd time at the back end of his Madrid career. Really, last two years at least have just been almost a wash to some degree. I don't know, James. Did did you stay class into your thirties? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there is, I'm trying to trying to think big events of my life. Yeah, I became a parent at 32. There you go. That was a. That was I a was really physically moment. fit in that that period of time. Like it was a it was a period where I started doing uh, MMA. And actually, I've kind of like recalled this and uh, recently because of the lockdown and how you know I'm just kind of managing stress with like physical fitness. And I was like, man. I'm doing maybe, I don't know, maybe three hours a week or something like that. And I was like, when I was a kid, and I say kid, I mean like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, I was doing about 10 hours a week of workouts and, and tennis and, and whatever. Like, it's just so different. I'm like, yeah, three is a lot for me now, you know, with the three children and everything else going on. So the year before, uh, the year before City changed hands, that season before when Sven was in, in, <laughs> in charge, you had Rolando Bianchi. I have no idea who this dude is. Like, I mean, I, I was paying attention. I was, I was I was trading and gambling at the time, but I still don't know who Orlando Bianchi is. Verlin, uh, veteran Tr- Troluca, obviously former Spuds and would be future Spuds player. Uh, Ilano, uh, Valery Bojanov, who I think, did he go to Everton at one point? Uh, I don't think so. Ilano was Martin, great. Ilano was really good. Yeah, you know, I, I liked Ilano fine, but he was 26 when he arrived. Uh, Martin Petrov, <laughs> Philip Caicedo, Gelson Fernandez, uh, Benjani, classic Benjani, Neri Castillo with a loan fee. I was just, just like, ah, oh, what a mess! Like, what what a disaster of a window! And it just shows how you can light money on fire if you do things wrong. And and that was actually the norm, and has been the norm when somebody with money comes and takes over a football club over and over and over again. And so this is the note of caution that we would strike in answering this question for Newcastle fans. Yeah, it does it takes this is the thing, it takes time and it's important to not, not to not to go in and make these kind of like huge missteps just straight off the bat and you know, end up with want away players and Yeah. I mean what well which team is it? Was it Fulham? Well, Fulham kind of had to sign players. I can't remember. Maybe it was Villa. Villa had signed players as well. But I, always, I think both both teams, both those two teams, came up from the championship, and they needed to sign players. So that that was that was always going to be the case. But they signed a lot of players, and just kind of building a whole new dressing room overnight 
you know that they, these are the two circumstances that it seems to happen you you get a promotion into the premier league or you know major league and uh, or a takeover and then suddenly 10 new players arrive trying to m- manage that situation so that everyone's on the same page and you've got a kind of team ethic and all those kind of uh, softer factors uh, that that we're, we look at it's it's not easy and uh, yeah i i if I if I was in charge of Newcastle with a huge great big takeover, uh, I would be investing in the right things, Ted, not Rubinho for thirty million <laughs> or whatever. Not not oh here, here's a good question. Where is Rubinho currently? Is he in Turkey? He is. I believe he's. I don't know who's where he's. I'm sure it came up quite recently. We're talking about it. I remember watching him and him and Diego in like the early 2000s. I thought they were going to be the two best players in the world, and they were very good. And they both had very decent careers in ways, but they in some ways it didn't quite get to the stage that maybe maybe I so expected. Rubinho is listed at Istanbul Basak Shakir or Shahir. Sorry, not Shakir. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, again and. The thing is, you know, James is talking about how it takes some time. Like that, the Rubinho season happened. That was super surreal. I think that takeover happened very late. Um, the next year, they ended up with Adam Johnson, who's a name you haven't thought of since you know, he went to prison, presumably. Uh, Gareth ba- Barry, um, Colo, Colo, Colo Torre, uh, Roque Santa Cruz, Julian Lescott, Adebayor. I get on a big fee from Arsenal and Carlos Tevez. So like it does get a little bit better. And I think they brought in like Vieira on a free and, and what have you. But yeah, it, it took a few years for that to stabilize. And so I'm not trying to like scare Newcastle people. I think that, you know, especially with Amanda Stavely being involved, like things might have better advice at this point. But three years down the line is where it really does actually get good or weird, depending on how you look at it. They actually signed Jerome Boateng from Hamburg, who ended up being one of the best center backs in the world for an extended period of time. Uh, James Milner came from Villa the year after. Kolarov, David Silva, Balotelli, Yaya, and Ajin Jaco. And that's a hell of a haul there. Like, yeah, obviously there's, there's some absolute top-notch players at top money. All the way through that run, and then Mario, why me? Yeah, well, and and it made sense at the time. Like Mario looks like, but yeah, like the the rest of these guys all ended up having like really good careers and and contributing a ton for the most part for for City. Uh, but it took till till ten eleven, so you know three four years to sort that out. So the question that and we're not going to give you a straight answer, Newcastle fans, and I apologize for this. Uh, part of it's because this is a consulting gig, <laughs> but also, you know, part of it is it, it's hard to answer this correctly. Um, you know, style of play. We have a style of play that we teach during our courses that we think is is beneficial and useful. It doesn't mean that we're a hundred percent correct, but. You know, we have a, a lean on on how to go about defending, attacking. You know, it depends on what personnel you have. the The elite style of play almost changes year after year. But you're right. Uh, you would you would go you would go into this like you know with a two three year plan. It's like right, we've bought this club. They have enormous stadium, loads of fans, good revenue. Uh, you know, we have money behind us. Right, let's make a three year plan to to get to a stage. I don't know, three year plan for the top six or something. Would you say that was yeah. reasonable? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, th- I think you're you're right in range of that, and it takes three three full summers to churn a squad. 
Mm. Uh, we, we've talked about this a number of times. You cannot do it in one summer. You can't even do it in two summers, really. It takes basically three, four years. One thing that, so Phil Giles is originally from Newcastle, even though like, he doesn't sound like it at all. He's the he's one of the directors of football at Brentford and, and guy I used to work for. And, and Phil always said, one of the tragedies of Newcastle is that they do not bring through enough academy players. And he said, I would, I, if, if I were running that, I, I would play back into that because like, you know, Newcastle, a lot of pride up in that area. The Geordies are, are great people. Uh, I would want to, to put like maybe even, you know, stars or something on the bench seats that have to be reserved for academy players that that we built and we grew and if you're taking that over like you know you want to ground yourself in that like you want you want the locals on side you want them to feel like yeah we're here we care about the local area because we do um you know city have spent massive amounts on the campus up there and re- yeah, renovating yeah. like a whole part portion of manchester and you know to their credit it's it's astounding it's one of the greatest training um training areas in all of football the entire world and you know, they they have spared no expense, but they've also done things in a very thoughtful way. And I've I've talked to a number of people that work for City over time. You want to do a similar sort of thing with Newcastle, and you also want to make sure that you know it's not just going to be Rubinos and Flair and Flash players. But we care about the locals and having a good academy and bringing players through. And this is what we're going to do. So like I I think that that can't get lost. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Actually, I think yeah, yeah the just just to get the just to get the buy in like beyond day 2 where you, where you do sign a big player or something or bring in a big name manager yeah just to get just to get the buy in from the from the fans uh yeah you probably need to be a little bit kind of cognizant of of the whole yeah the whole picture there but yeah i don't even know if it's going to go through at this point i suppose but yeah you know from from a pure spectacle soap opera you know premier league perspective it's it's an interesting topic, no doubt. Uh, should we move on, Ted? What have we got next? So yeah, we, we've utterly failed to answer this question, Newcastle. Basically, <laughs> that's okay though. We rip, I mean, we riff if, on our topics. If I were running the program, my head coach would have been the guy who's over at PSV Eindhoven now, probably. And but there are still good options out there um, and different styles of play. And and again, you. You have to go into this with the understanding that Newcastle right now, as James has pointed out with his slide over on the, the right-hand side, look like the second worst team in expected goal difference, maybe the third worst team in the league. Now, they've they've managed to stay up. They've had a bit of fortune, uh, unexpectedly so. But you don't necessarily expect that Bruce is going to be the long-term guy here. And they probably want somebody with some pedigree. You know, Maybe Jose Mourinho will be available soon. Next slide, please, Ted. <laughs> Next slide, if you could. <laughs> it's like un- un- right. extremely uncalled for. Right, what have we got here? Wages and contracts in the Premier League. So a couple of yeah, a couple of people asked how hard will it will be the hit to elite leagues in terms of wages and transfers. Wages may change when football returns. Who in the EPL will suffer most from long, large contracts compared to shorter, more nimble wage structures? Now I very quickly uh, pulled pulled a, some contract data from transfer market so if i apologize if the, you know these things these numbers are you know not 100 percent reliable we don't have like 100 percent reliable uh, uh contract data i don't think anywhere there are a variety of sites that popped up recently that um claim to have but anyway just to give a kind of an idea of uh you know the average kind of length of contracts and the age of squads and stuff 
and so you've got two charts there one is just like just the average years of left on the contracts of uh, players uh, in the in the premier league teams and then versus the kind of age because <laughs> Ted, Ted went digging after I did this and found some, some fun charts uh, with about Crystal Palace's age I think which we'll get to in a moment but I think what's interesting is is very very much skews towards the money longer contracts appear to skew towards the money clubs uh, which which you would expect so you've got Man City Liverpool why do you expect that <laughs> they've got money they, they, they can pay to secure their assets uh, uh, there you go it's asset bit so, yeah. so the way that the contracts work are they're considered, you know, a player is an asset, but they're only an asset as long as you have them under contract. And mm-hmm. so if you're paying big money for players that you want to stick around for a while and you think they're going to be really good, you just immediately put them on five-year contracts, right? And you want to, you want to make sure that you get, to, you get control of that asset for as long as possible. And so that's, that's why those, those bigger clubs tend to have the longer signups and lockups for their players. I think the the one team that um, kind of stood out for me here probably was West Ham. They've got like uh, you know relatively long long contracts. They they've spent quite well, freely's probably overestimated. Spent quite quite well in the last couple of years, and probably have got quite a few players locked down for for significantly large uh, large deals and long deals, and. They are obviously, you know, very close to the trap door at the moment. Uh, you know, compare them to say Bournemouth, who look to have uh, shorter deals and a, and a, I think a generally younger squad as well. Yeah, generally younger squad. Who, you know, Bournemouth, Bournemouth strategically from a kind of like age of squad versus, well, it looks like the length of the contracts that looked look like they've 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 been built with a perspective of like if we go down, it's not going to be the end of the world. And obviously they they're a smaller club than West Ham in general, but yeah, West Ham in general it feels like they've got long contracts, older players, um, and you know sounds maybe great. There's, maybe there's maybe there's a uh, you know the the balance of risk risk and uh, reward there might be a little bit off. It's it's hard to say. And again, these are these are just kind of like overviews of of looking at these teams. Um, yeah, the two the two teams with the shortest contracts uh, at the moment, apparently, are Palace and Burnley. But they're also the two teams with what Ted, the longest, the oldest players by some oh, margin. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, so uh, like, let's let's move on to that because we've got a. So this is the the weighted minutes played by age, and uh, and this is a viz that we've got in there, and we we did it just to like help teams keep track of, you know, how old they are and how <laughs> like how, how does their squad look in terms of that i i'd forgotten that aaron lennon was actually on burnley's squad by the way yeah no i know he's had a, he's had a few minutes and he's not many but he's been he has been there oh, so go. on the left hand side of this is is crystal palace and uh and we've got a line going up from 27 and then another line there's a pink dotted line at the average age which is just about 30 in terms of weighted uh minutes and and Palace have have two players, <laughs> only two that that have played any. Oh, sorry. There, there's a third down there that's had 13 minutes. There's an 18 year old that's had 13 minutes, I mm. guess. And then they've got Gyro, who's still around, uh, and Max Meyer, also still around, at ages 23 and 24. And those are the only two players that are basically under 27 that have had any minutes whatsoever. Yeah, and then they've had small minutes as well. It's not like they're core members of, of the team or haven't been this season for whatever reason. Yeah, it's really. I think. I think we flagged this in the summer. Definitely, that Palace were getting old, and it was. Uh, it was all kind of getting away, getting away from them. And yeah, it, it very much feels like this. This. I think this. The squad 
ability. Um, Metric-wise, they dropped back this season. Metric-wise, last season, they were okay. A lot of people foretold doom and gloom for them this season. Um, I thought their metrics were strong enough that they would probably persist through this season. Their metrics have dropped back, and they've got no younger. So I think it's possibly this this season, this season um, last season... <laughs> Uh, mm. last season was fine this season is fine next season it's going to look you know that's probably when it's going to come home to roost we'll see but you know Roy does his thing and my my joke is that Roy could do it with 11 bales of hay and still end up staying middle of the pack in the Premier League uh, then you got Manchester City who as James noted uh, have some of the longer contracts uh, they've got some kids that have had a bit of time including Phil Foden. Um, Gabriel Jesus is still only 23, which is really... <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, Rodri, also 23. Um, and then you get a little bit older. But, like, they have plenty of peak age players. But they've also got, like, a long distribution and a long tail. So, like, uh, Claudio Bravo. Goalkeepers tend to be a bit older. That's fine. Uh, Fernandinho, uh, 35, has not gotten any younger. David Silva, um, who this is his last season uh, at the club, presumably, um, Otamendi, some guy named Sergio Aguero, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so so that's kind of like more of a, a natural distribution. And some of those those older players have come down from amazing peaks. They've been tremendous players. Yeah, yeah. And you look at you look at the way that's been distri- distributed. That you know their players, and, and it's, you can you can see clearly that they've tried to retool in the younger department. You know, I think Rodri's a good example. He, he came in. Got a little bit of stick early on when results didn't necessarily go their way for not being Fernandinho, and it's like, yeah, okay, that <laughs> that's valid. But he's also twenty twenty three ish, and Fernandinho's you know thirty thirty four and had been one of the you know superior kind of like all round midfielders in that role for a few seasons. So, yeah, is it about Rodri in season one? You'd love him to hit the ground running and be superb from the from the get go. I think he's been perfectly fine, but yeah, it's about the it's about the future seasons and is that player, uh, you know, going to be a, a you know a bigger hit as we go forward? And you'd feel probably he will probably be fine. Yeah, and then you've got Burnley, and and Burnley's like really intriguing because they're clustered all around age thirty for the most part, some twenty eights, um, and <laughs> Tarkowski is like the third youngest player that's got real minutes, which is, you know, a bit of a surprise. Dwight McNeil, I think, um, is, is potential future. Dwight McNeil must be uh, lonely in that dressing room. He's, he's, he's a yeah. right boys. How's it going? He's looking at all these old guys. <laughs> so, oh, that's all right. I'm going to go and hang with it. I'm going to go and hang with you, U23s for a bit, guys. You, well, you and, stick with and your, in the summertime. Papers and whatever. <laughs> yeah, and in, in the summertime when we did our transfer review, I, I believe I remembered hating what happened at Burnley. And then they brought in Josh Brownhill over this <laughs> over the winter break, who's had like five minutes. And I also like I don't understand that deal at all. Like nothing about it do I understand. But you know, Dice likes his guys and we'll see where that goes. So yeah, anyway, distributions of age and and how those work out and what sort of impact they might have in the future, always something to be aware of. <clears throat> all right, so some more rapid fire stuff we're gonna get to here. James, do you collect data for UEFA Youth League, PLU23, PLU18, and other youth leagues to help identify and recruit younger? <laughs> I missed miss some words off that question. I don't personally know, Ted. Do you know anyone who does? Yeah, so we, we collect the UEFA Youth League. We added um, we added last or the current season 
and then we were just going to do it for for next season. Um, PLU23, PLU18, we gladly would if we had a regular supply of video. The video supply for those have always been a bit spotty uh, because I guess the big teams aired them on their TV channels or their on-demand channels, but everybody else didn't. And we don't have the official Premier League data deal. Like We're not the company that has that. But we would love to, to add that. So yeah, we're interested in doing stuff like that. We understand that youth is, is a big way um, in England, especially where the academies are better than they've ever been. <clears throat> Can I can I can I blow the blow the plot on the UEFA Youth League that that Curtis Jones yeah. stands out? <laughs> you might have heard of him. <laughs> he stands out in the UEFA Youth League data. Who's who's this? Curtis Jones, you know Liverpool. He's had some he's had some minutes for actual Liverpool this season. So, huh? <laughs> so there's well, no secret I, there. I'll tell you what, Liverpool they've got a good kid. You know, there you go. There's to your, there's to your push back on that though. <laughs> to push back on that, Liverpool have multiple times this season fielded entire teams of children because they yeah, had very mixture congestion. There's quite quite a large sample set of uh, Liverpool kids in, in first team minutes compared to probably everyone else. What they had to do is they had to go around the streets near Anfield and just round up the children that looked like they had footballing ability and then put official team kits on them and just plug them out there. And and apparently you can defeat Arsenal in the Carling Cup with just that that degree of player. All right, Ted. I think you're offending too many people now. <laughs> Arsenal people? <laughs> anyway, doesn't matter. Okay. What was the next question? Any update on getting more... Updated selfishly uh, NWSL data and just stats from open data. What are the processes behind getting such data? Is it easy, hard, complicated? Please someone answer my email, players. I mean, this is it. Sometimes it is a bit. It is difficult to track down all games as we just discussed. Um, I, I, I'm not sure in in the COVID world what our, what our near term or medium term plans are with regards to uh, stats from open data. You might be able to tell me more, Ted. But it's 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 always always been part of the, the company ethos, and it's not something we're looking to move away from. I don't think. Yeah, we continue to release some level of women's data. Uh, the problem is simply like we would be collecting NWSL as of this weekend, uh, which uh, was supposed to start, but. If there's no football, then it's not happening. Um, we've released sort of quiet versions of data to other people from time to time. Like we take around memory sticks. If if you see us at a conference, we've also <laughs> yeah. we often have like you know secret stashes of data that we're happy to to give away. Uh, it's kind of like one of the fun things that that we do. Um, so we've leaked out I think like the seventeen eighteen Premier League data to our own conference. Um, there are a few other data sets that we might have released. Did we give a La Liga set out at some point? Maybe. Did you go to Barcelona? We could be there. No, I didn't give away sticks there. But we were definitely going to release some Serie A data uh, for Fiorentina. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, that got canceled. That was supposed to be back in March. Um, there is one ongoing data project that we have going. Uh, people have seen me talk a little bit about it on Twitter. It's the Invincibles Project. We have 32 of the 38 matches currently collected, and we are so close, I think, to being able to get those last final matches. Um, and we've got some partnership stuff that we're we're talking to people about, um, including, you know, potentially the club itself. Um, but it will eventually come out to to the whole world. So, and that's a passion project for me, and something that yeah, I'm sure that we'll we'll have. You know, half of a podcast episode dedicated to and it. These are benefits of being the CEO of the, the data collection company, Ted. I there are no <laughs> benefits to being CEO of data collection company. 
Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> What's the next question? Can you please talk about using? It says xg plus minus stat. I, I left this question. Someone said about like yeah, plus minus in, in football, and I, I, we're not going to get into it. We're a little bit pushed for time and, and such. But I just thought I'd mention it because I remember for a long time friend of ours, uh, Marek Vyakovsky, has did did a uh, little write up of kind of like a literature review of plus minus in football and so yeah if you if you're interested in that uh at stat lurker is in his it's in his um in his twitter feed somewhere so that's that's certainly worth looking at and it's always problematic anyway i don't think anyone's really kind of cracked about there are things that people talk about and one of the first things that people often do is try and put single numbers uh around players and there are there are ways to go about doing this. I've worked with some of the smartest people in this field, and I think that plus minus in soccer is particularly problematic. Basically, the error bars are absolutely enormous. And when you have absolutely enormous error bars to the point that, like, you know, there are a bunch of false positive, but also a bunch of false negatives, it starts to become something that you can't use very well. Uh, we also have the issue in, in soccer where, like, we don't sub in more than three players, although apparently we'll be subbing in five, <laughs> potentially, yeah. um, during the, the COVID stuff. I hope that doesn't end up being a long-term thing. Uh, but yeah, like plus plus minus, like super problematic. Uh, exchange rates, super problematic. If people are telling you that these are good things, it feels like it's mostly marketing or they don't really understand the, the problems around doing that type of modeling. That's my own personal opinion. But, you know, having been in this space and, and tried to investigate a lot of this with some very smart people who had interesting approaches, like we've seen them fall down consistently. Uh, is it fanciful? To see Manchester United in the same light as early Klopp. Liverpool in that they were brilliant against the top teams, but dire against the smaller ones. And they may just need two to three players to compete. Playing styles are contrasting, but can constantly beating top teams be lucky? I wanted to highlight this one too. I think this is a really interesting conversation, especially because like the way that we talk about Solskjaer and Manchester United has actually been pretty consistent. And the metrics are not the same as what we would have been talking about last year. So go ahead. Um, I think it's well. I, I think it's interesting because although some of their performances have, have looked a bit mediocre at times, and some of the results have certainly been mediocre, I think there's green. There are green shoots there. I think that there's there's the idea that they that at some point someone at Man United realised that they needed to kind of uh, reset and. You know, we're talking two, three-year plans. We're talking about, about Newcastle earlier. And it's easy to kind of like get caught up in the Solskjaer thing. I get the feeling he maybe he's a kind of, um, not a stopgap, but just a kind of like a custodian until they get to the other side of whatever whatever journey they're on. Um, again, transfers and in, input towards transfers will be a, uh, you know, a key key aspect towards this. Uh, they were linked with Grealish. Grealish is a very good player. I, he feels a little bit like Bruno Fernandez in in how he might kind of, uh, you know, kind of attra- attract the ball, be a bit of a magnet for the ball. So I don't know if that that works out. Um, Without the shots, though. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah, you know, they're 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 very they're different in that kind of that kind of respect. Um, yeah, two two three of the right players though, and maybe Grealish is one of them. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and there's nothing to say that Man United couldn't couldn't point point in the right direction. But again, is it a question of you know Pogba's gone and you need to replace him anyway? And I don't know. There's still there's still too many Indians in the squad. Um, I know you need some uh, you know, Indians, as in Chiefs and Indians. Sorry, <laughs> get controversial there. I uh, didn't mean to at all. Um, 
Yeah, and La- uh, last week was us <laughs> mentioning racial epithets, but that was in the context of the wire. We're really not trying to do that. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, I understand what you mean. Like you know, chiefs and Indians, not cops and Indians. I just, I just, yeah, I just, I, I don't want them. You know, I don't want want Man United to think that they can just solve their problems with with one hit stars. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I feel like some of their kind of like twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth men are maybe not up to scratch. So it might be a case of buying it all through the squad. It might be four or five players rather than two or three. But I don't. I, I'm, I'm more hopeful about Man United's future than I probably have been for some while, one way or another. Yeah, as as not a United fan, I'm not sure that hopeful is the way that I would describe it. But you know, analyzing them, uh, I think that defensively, something we've been pointing out all season, like their their defensive metrics have been pretty close to elite. Mm. And and if you defend fairly well and you have pretty good talent around it, like you can do reasonably well. Now the the gap here, and this is the the question for the United fans that will always ask themselves, is how do they get back to the top? And they are far, far off the top. Yeah, sure. But they're not far off the Champions League places. And, you know, if you say you got to start somewhere, that's probably a fair place to start. But can we really be happy about a team that just cannot handle Liverpool? I don't know. Liverpool, yeah, Liverpool, I'm, I'm, I'm trolling now. Sorry. Liverpool will <laughs> progress at some point. They're not going to be this team forever. Two years from now, things change fast. <laughs> Easy to forget that. It's true. No, it's, it's absolutely true. Uh, Liverpool used to be seventh and eighth best team in in England. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Favorite moment and favorite player don't necessarily have to be the best from the Brentford fourteen fifteen season. Oh, question and for me. Was that for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I really, I really enjoyed John Terrell's, um period. I really enjoyed Tarky. Like watching watching Tarkowski is is. He, he was a lot of fun. Sometimes panic-inducing, but a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> people got, got stuck on Pritch. Like Pritchard was one of the young players of the season that, that year. Um, and he's, his career has kind of disappeared. But like I, my frustrations with Pritch was just like he loved to shoot from range. And that's, that's always very frustrating. Um, I mean, it was an interesting season and, and a little sad that you know, it didn't do better. And I have some frustrations there because we, we wanted to sign one or two players that ended up being very good um, in that winter window. And then Andre got tired. But yeah, I mean, that was. Yeah. And, and mostly because of who I am and, and when they happen, I remember I remember the painful moments. So I remember in particular just never, ever getting past Middlesbrough and having like fluke fucking goals fly in then just god damn that team anyway that's that's like and obviously we lost to them in the playoffs so that's that's what i remember uh here's a good one for you how highly do you rate Odson edward and where do you think he ranks in the under 23 strikers in europe i'm not entirely sure about this but i i know i know for a fact that uh within within uh metrics wise he looks he looks really quite tidy within scotland but he's within scotland so that that kind of balance is is worth kind of thinking about um a lot of shot volume. Yeah, lots I, th- and lots. I think I think he's 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 certainly someone you'd have a good look at, wouldn't it? If if you you know if you're if you're any team in Europe and you're like building a short list of like under twenty three strikers or you know guys for the future, uh, he's someone you'd have a close look at because you know for, for superficially certainly uh, you know what what he's done what he's done since he's been in Scotland has been has been entirely fine and good. Um, that doesn't mean I'd rock him to the top of a shortlist, and I think his outcomes are, could be potentially quite variable because because of 
uh, you know, the nature of the league that he's playing in makes it slightly hard to evaluate. And it just it just does forwards forwards can be. I mean, strikers in particular can be can be really quite difficult to evaluate um, at times. Often you'll watch them and they'll do very little for long periods of the game and then they'll spring to life. I, I, I think I've said this before, but uh, watching Zlatan in the Milan derby score, assist and hit the post and do nothing the rest of the time. And then coming away from that match thinking like, is that is that, in, is that what I want from my striker? Is that what I want from my striker in 2020? And it's it's just, yeah forward evaluation particularly goal scoring uh, you know and players the players that are predominant goal scorers rather than um, also creative uh, remain you know kind of an interesting topic to look at um, I want to watch him against everybody that is elite I want to watch him against his hardest competition in particular preferably not a Scott not Scottish teams I want to see him in like you know is he played in youth national teams for France like current U21 you know when did he face the tough teams there like that's what I want to see because I want other baselines that are not Scotland. Yeah, totally. I agree. Uh, if you were picking a new England manager, what would you look for? Specific skills to best manage a tournament, the best fix for available players, someone to lead a whole organizational change in tactics, i.e., U16s up to the seniors. I don't get what we got this question. Southgate's fine for now, and you know, that's he. He seems to have his uh, somewhat of a an interest in the whole um, pipeline. So, I, I think there's a there's an England manager coming available soon. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly someone else. Someone. Else, this was another question we got. You know, who's who's a good fit for the women's job? And I thought um, I don't know enough about the women's game to, to actually make a, make a valuable comment there. And I I'm not allowed to answer this question. <laughs> I thought you just promote Emma because she's your pal. So I thought maybe we'd skip past that question. I'm 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 honestly not allowed to answer it for a number of different reasons that will all get me in trouble. Even if Chelsea media are not going to get me beyond Ted, my back Ted, if you're week. if you're the England women's team manager by next week, I'll, I'll call myself stunned. That will be quite the quite the upgrade <laughs> moving right along do you think fifa potentially bring in five subs to eat congested schedules opens the door to being instituted permanently and what are some game management implications of it we talked about this in a past podcast i don't really want to dig into it five for now especially with those issues is is okay yeah if they got five not fast turnaround of games then i i, I would understand if they they tweak the rules a little bit for to to enable that um we probably just have to bite on that and live with it but uh are you better at football manager than i am james i think so but i haven't played in about 15 years so i'm willing to cede that to you i've probably played more recently but again it's something that i gave up when we started doing this professionally because i just very, didn't have the time very true and i don't get what are your feelings towards question? orange soda what are my feelings towards orange soda i don't know what, 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 why don't you know? Is this a meme I've just missed out on? Probably. I have no idea. I even, I know the guy who who asked it. I don't I don't know where it came from either. But you're the idiot who put it. Is there it a song on the Orange questions. Soda? Is there a, a hip hop track Orange Soda? I don't I think know. there is. I think there is. It's good. Okay. On that note, um, James is going to portray the Fanta of the opera in a coming musical. Now, um, so we're going to wrap up. I've got to go teach. Uh, the set pieces course is ongoing. We had like nearly a hundred people, I think, in the room last week, which was like a huge, um, 
credit to to everybody. Uh, you know, you and helped put that course together. Thanks again to him. Mentioned that yesterday, um, and also to our history. And it's also like really interesting to see. I think the most people we had in a room before was something like sixteen. Uh, a year on, we do this online, and we get you know basically a hundred signups and people who want to learn. So super cool. Vic Mensa, orange sodas, good track. Anyway, till the next time. Goodbye. <laughs>